before we get into the message, I just I did want to give a few details on the Christmas offering coming up. So Zach said that uh, he, he highlighted the ministries that they're giving to. And so next Sunday is going to be our first Christmas offering day. And so um, I have a unique uh, seat in the house. I help oversee our finances. Um, and so I just want to say, you guys are a generous people. And I'm just thankful to walk alongside you. I'm encouraged by you and I'm challenged by you. And I don't know if you guys realize this, but in kind of the midst of a a pretty uh, unique 2017 where we're in and out of hotels and nomadic for over half the time. We actually had a record number of giving like from January through October, like each month was like a record for that month uh, for all of 2017. So I wanna say like first praise God for provision and then thank you guys for being a generous people and a generous church. I think generosity and faith are linked closely together and so just believing that Man, great things are to come. And so with Christmas offering coming up, uh, the practical way you can give is if you want to bring your check or bring your money, you can put it in the box um, in the back called the joy box because it's a joy to give to God and his purposes. And just write Christmas offering on an envelope or on the memo of the check, or you can give online. Um, And if you have any questions about it, uh, you can ask me because I'm the guy who deals with those questions. Like I was saying before, we are starting a new series looking at uh, prophecies in Isaiah that are uh, deepening and, and widening the appreciation for the riches of, of Christmas. Uh, during a season of Advent, Advent, it's the coming of the Lord that we're anticipating and expecting. And this is a, uh, this is a topic that really you can never exhaust the, the heights and widths and the depths. And so we're just going to take three passages and looking at those. Um, and we're going to begin this morning in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 and highlighting how Jesus is the light that comes into our darkness. So if you have your Bibles, just invite you guys to uh, turn there uh, or your app. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back, actually, next to a bulletin, if you'd like that, uh, our free gift. Uh, Or if you want to follow along on the screen, um, it'll be available to you as well. So before we get into the passage, though, I was thinking this week, of when was the last time that I was either lost or the last time that I was afraid of the dark. And the first one that popped to my mind was last night that Amy forgot to turn the nightlight on. And no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't last night. Amy's my wife. Uh, I did think to the last time that it was dark and I was afraid. And I this memory, crystal clear memory, when I was about five years old, came to mind. And I'm in my bunk bed, uh, eight foot ceiling. So I'm like really close to the wall, like terrified to go to sleep because of a recurring nightmare that I had over and over again. And I, I don't know if this is because there was no iPads around at that time, or I just had an active imagination, but I would think of images that were calming to try to calm me down, okay? So one of the images I would think of, and I have no idea where I got this, was the back of a quarter where there's like the eagle emblem of the United States, you know? I would picture that in my mind for some reason. And as a five-year-old kid, I don't know if it's because I was, I loved America or money, <laughs> but I was like, yes, you know, it's kind of like a Scrooge McDuck thinking about all his gold deployments, like, oh, that helps me to sleep at night. I don't know. But that was the first one that would, that would alleviate some of my anxiety or fear of the dark as a, as a kid, but that would rarely last long. Uh, and so the second image that, I don't know why I didn't lead with this one, but it was a picture of a sunrise coming up over the hill, so kind of a picturesque type scene, very serene and peaceful. And on the one side of the hill, I'm coming up 
uh, to the top of the hill with the sunrise cresting over, and then Jesus was walking up on the other side. And, you know, we can all say, oh, that's, you know, it's a sweet picture. Uh, but I remember for, for me as a kid that I was just, I was being taught by my parents about who God was, uh, being taught a biblical worldview, and, but Jesus was a character in a book that I, I really liked, um, but had never really entered into my life. And I remember this was the first time that I remember being in need and actually feeling like Jesus was present there with me, actually experiencing his presence and his peace, probably because it's, it's one of the first memories I've ever had uh, is, is his peace kind of entering into that room. Um, and so, you know, for, for us in this room, uh, we probably do not struggle with uh, being afraid of the dark. And if you do, uh, don't think about a quarter, think about Jesus. Um, but we do struggle with all sorts of different things going on, things that challenge us to our core, things that we're facing each and every day. It might be uh, challenges at work. It might be uh, competing things for your, your affections with, uh, you know, choosing between uh, the career that you have or the family that, you know, you're trying to support and you're pulled in between, or maybe it's uh, a financial decision that you need to make that you're afraid to do. Maybe it's your future, being afraid of what's ahead, being afraid of, you know, loneliness is in the future, or failure is a big one that I struggle with. You know, there's, there's all sorts of things that we're facing that as we grow older, it's not really that different. And we get a choice of what we're going to look to in order to try to get answers, right? You could look to, you know, things that we can see, taste, feel, and, you know, money's not bad. Uh, leaning on people is certainly something that's encouraged in the scriptures, and, and we can go through things that are helpful to, to us, but ultimately, if our hope isn't anchored in the light of Jesus coming into us, uh, coming to us, um, then those things aren't made to be, they, they're not made to be the center of our, of our souls. They're not made to be the nightlight of our souls, so to speak. Does that make sense? So with that kind of like an image for this passage, let's read Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. And, um, and just to give a little background about what's happening here. So Isaiah has written 700 years before Jesus' birth, and during that time, the people of Israel um, had aligned themselves with false gods, false religions, so their fears and the promises of the world is what they were trusting in. So God sent Isaiah and said, hey, I, for generations, I've been slow to anger uh, and full of compassion towards you, and I'm doing it again. I'm sending a prophet to warn you again that if you don't turn, that there is going to be judgment that's coming. There is going to be consequences and you're gonna be overrun by your enemies. You are going to uh, lose your home. And worst of all, you're gonna lose me. You're gonna have a spiritual darkness come over your heart. And so Isaiah uh, goes and delivers this message to the people. And sure enough, the people hear it. And instead of responding and repenting, it says that their hearts were actually darkened even more, like hardened uh, and a thick darkness fell over this people. So Isaiah is a book. It's very interesting. Uh, it's in the middle of, middle of the Bible, right after Song of Solomon, right before Jeremiah, that has a theme of judgment because the Israel has fallen away, but there's also hope. And that, you know, how is God going to fulfill his promises to Abraham, that the descendants of his people would bless all nations if Israel's not following God? How is God gonna fulfill the covenant promise to David that someone's gonna be on your throne forever and is gonna be a part of the world coming to be saved? 
How is this going to happen? And so this is where the prophecies of Christmas come in. So Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. <laughs> All right. Sorry, that was a long, long intro. I got, I got into it a little bit. All right. Well, you can get into it with me. Here we go. Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. But there will be no gloom for her, Israel. So this is the message of hope to them. For, for her, speaking of Israel, who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And so what's happening here is um, these, these names, Zebulun and Naphtali, are talking about a geographic location that's in the northern part of Israel. It's actually in Galilee. Now, this area was a place of contempt, it says, uh, a place where God actually, judgment fell, because this was the first place that the enemies of God came in to overrun Israel. This is where the Assyrian army, and this is where the Babylonian army took over. And this was also a place um, that was looked down on by other Israelites. Uh, they would not expect for some, anyone of worth, really, or importance to come from Galilee, and yet this is the very place that we see in the Gospels that is saying that Jesus is going to come out of, that the, the light is going to come out of. And I was thinking about you know, just uh, where I'm from, my hometown. So I'm border of South Carolina Mesquite, but I'll say Mesquite is my hometown, all right? We got any other Mesquite, Mesquite people? There we go, Doug Overton. Um, so uh, one guy. He's with me. But I was thinking about the, you know, growing up, I'd say I'm from Mesquite, and depending on the crowd I was with, I'd get a different response. So, uh, you know, no offense to anyone, but say I was in, you know, maybe Uptown or whatever, I'd say I'm from Mesquite, I could see in their mind pictures of blue-collar workers and, you know, maybe he has a horse, I'm not really sure, or uh, I, he definitely has dipped at one point in his life. <laughs> Uh, is something that he thought about, you know, and, you know, I, I love, I love where I grew up, um, but, you know, for me, who am I, who am I going to pick on, who am I, you know, so I'm like, man, Terrell, Texas is, you know, <laughs> you know, so my point is, I love Terrell, Texas, some of my best friends come from there, so I'm just saying everyone is looking for some other town to look down on, you know what I mean, and so for, uh, for Rome in the time of Jesus, they looked down on Jerusalem, and so Jerusalem looked down on Galilee, and there was even a time when Jesus came forward, and, uh, and his ministry was starting, um, and I think it was Andrew, it might be one of the brothers, came and said, hey, look, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth, and he says, can anything good come from Nazareth, you know? So there's these prejudice coming in, and so I highlight that just because this is a, uh, just another facet of the diamond of Christmas, that, that Christ would come in such a humble and low and unexpected state that he is coming for all people. He is coming from all nations, every background, poor, rich, young, old, educated, not educated, um, that he's coming for all people. Amen? Amen. Okay, so then verse two, now that that's explained, he's talking about the people of Israel that they walked in darkness. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. And so here's the, bit, here's the main idea I want you to get from these two verses, that we have to see our need for light. Uh, we have to see our own need for light. Um, and for the Israelites, they know that they're in darkness. I mean, just put yourself in their shoes for a second. Imagine that 
your home has been overrun that, uh, and you've been displaced. So you've actually been kicked out of your, of, your, of your homeland. You're a refugee in another land. And that all of your family has been scattered. All the things that you've accumulated, the riches, the heirlooms, they're gone. It's complete start over. And so they, there's no need to, to let them know. Yeah, there is a circumstantial darkness that I'm facing right now. And it might not be to that extent for you. Maybe it is. Maybe you're a refugee here. Maybe that's your story. Um, but we all have situations where, or times in our life where we've had a situational present darkness. We're like, man, there is, this, there is this problem that I don't know what to do with. There is this shame that I'm carrying for this act that I did. There is this burden. That, and, and those are the types of areas where you don't need to tell me that I need help. You know what I mean? You don't need to tell me, like, I need to ask for help because I know I'm in, I'm in deep darkness. So there's that type of darkness going on here. But what I want to highlight to you guys is not only is this darkness circumstantial, but it's also spiritual. And that, that's something that we all have in common, that every single one of us in here were born into a world uh, being spiritually blinded. And just as a way of reminder for some, and maybe for some for the first time, that why is that is something that we want to keep in front of us because we can have a tendency to grade ourselves based on what we see around ourselves, okay? So if you're like, well, you know, if, if uh, and this is not the gospel, but say, you know, the commonly held belief that if I'm a good person, that I'll go to heaven, how do you determine if you're a good person? Well, you look to your left and your right, you're like, well, I hope God grades on a curve because I'm kind of in the curve of like, I haven't done atrocious things, but God says that that's not truth. Truth is, is that uh for all have fallen short of the glory of God. And because of um, man deciding to be at the center of their world instead of me, that every single one of us was born in the darkness. Uh, uh, Pastor J.D. Greer uses this illustration that I like a lot. He describes how in creation, God is creating this beautiful painting. And in the painting, he's starting from the edges and he's working inside. And so from day one through day two, day three, he's you know, he's got the stars in the sky and he's got the sea and the ocean and he's got uh, all of the creatures and it's just like this amazing landscape and, and God is making this incredible picture, but then he stops short. Um, after he makes man, he stops short of finishing out the center. And instead he turns to Adam and Eve, he turns to man and he says, I want you as made in my image, I want you to choose who to put in the center. And he hands them the painting, the 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 brushes, and says, I want you to fill in the center. They're like, why would we want to do that? You're the, one, <laughs> you're the one who knows what you're doing. But God's like, no, I want a relationship with you. I want to give you freedom. I want you to have a choice. And so that uh, choice, that freedom didn't last long. And as we know from Genesis 3, that Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. They were tempted by, uh, by, 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 the, by the serpent to believe that God was holding out on them and actually it was better if they were at the center of that painting. It was better that they were in control of their lives. And so they painted themselves in the middle, they ate from the apple, and what happened was is that a sin and a separation broke into our world. And so whenever we're looking at, man, how much do I need light? Is it like, well, um, you know, that guy's really kind and nice. I need to be more like him or no. It's like we all are in desperate need of light. We are all in desperate need of God. And the more that we realize our need, 
the more we're, we have the capacity to actually rejoice in what Christ has done. It's like a slingshot. The farther you go down, the higher your praises go up. And, um, and so that's, the, that's really what I want to highlight to you in this. And there's passages that, um, in Scripture that tell us that we're not without excuse. In Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory, glory of God, um, and, and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Um, and that that is, is sharing with us that he is the one that is calling to us, and that, yes, we see the outside edges of the painting, but where is this center? Where is this peace? Where is this light that I need? And he's calling to us um, that he is the light. And so I think this is important for us as we're approaching Christmas and we're looking at this passage and saying that a light has shined on people in the darkness to, if you're a believer in this room, to remember how Christ came and shed his light on you and that it's not a light that you found, but it's almost like the sun itself coming to you wherever you're at and shining on your circumstances, that he was the one who came and shined on, on your life and on where you're at. And, uh, and that for us, if we're believers in Christ, that's not the diving board to then jump into the pool that, okay, now I'm like, I'm good. That, that is the pool. Like, that's something that we continually are experiencing. Like, the more and more that we walk with him, the more we see him, the more we realize how broken we are, the deeper we know that, man, I really need his light in this area. And the more we know, man, his love for me is so great. And it just continues to expand. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a time uh, a few years ago when I lived in Waco, and uh, I was working as a finance guy doing the training school at night and just uh, living, in, living in community down there with the Antioch Church. And there was one friend that, that I met who was new to town. His name was Tony. Tony, you know, we liked the same things. We liked sports. We liked uh, good food. And so, I mean, we just had some of the same interests. And so we just became friends and as I got to know Tony, I found out um, the reason why he came to Waco wasn't for a job. Uh, it was for a fresh start. And he actually was a part of the Mercy House that's down there that helps uh, men who need a fresh start, whether it's with addiction, substance abuse, alcohol, whatever, to experience healing and, and transformation there in an assisted, focused way. And so he said, I'm actually down there. I don't, I'm here for this. And I was like, really? Like, you, you, you know, okay. I, I didn't say this. It was all in my head, you know. I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I was like, wow, that's surprising. And as I became friends with him, he would invite me to go over to the Mercy House, and I would sit in on their Bible studies and their worship, and I would walk away, and I'd be like, man, these guys' lives are messy, but they know Jesus in a way I don't know. They, they, they appreciate him in a, in a way that I can't really understand, and I want that. And I just was like, God, I don't, I don't really know what to do with that, but I know that all that says is that there's more, and I want the more. I want to understand the, the depths of really what you've done in coming for me. Does that make sense? And so, you know, Tony would say, yeah, man, I'm wearing my need on my sleeve. So I, I, I kind of have like a very visible circumstantial darkness that I know God is going to meet. Um, but maybe that's not for you. Maybe you're like me, and instead, it's really easy to kind of hide, hide our, our darknesses, our whatever, our things that we struggle with, our insecurities and things. And uh, we need God to shine his light on that. We need to see our need for the light and invite him in this Christmas. Amen?
Amen. And just one more quick note on this is I was friending Tony and God was just doing a fresh thing in my heart. It really cut to some of the judgmental attitudes that I had towards people, just to be honest with you guys, of saying, man, that person, I know in my head that person's not too far from Christ, but, you know, in my heart, I'm like, how in the world is that person ever going to receive the light that, that Jesus has done in my life? Um, and just reminded of the verse in 1 Corinthians 1, 28 through 29, where it says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring nothing, to bring the nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And uh, I love this, uh, this explanation of this verse by Spurgeon. Um, so I'll read this real quick, and then we'll go on to the next, next uh, point. But he says, if you will select me the grossest specimen of humanity, if he but be born of a woman, I will have hope of him yet, because Jesus Christ is come to seek and save sinners. Love which singles out an individual has picked out some of the worst to be made the best. Pebbles of the brook, grace turns into jewels for the crown royal. Worthless dross he transforms into pure gold. Redeeming love has set apart many of the worst of mankind to be the reward of the Savior's passion. And so if you uh, are find yourselves here like, I am so far gone, God might just have some of the best plans for you, you know? And I think for us and for me, it was a... Um, it was like God shining a light on an area that I need. I was so thankful that God, thank you for showing me a place of I'm judging this, this type of person and say, I, I'm not above anyone. In fact, you know, I need to be humbled in this, in this area. Does that make sense? Awesome. Okay, we're going to keep going. So the next part I want you to see in the next three verses is that we are undone by the grace of God. We need to be undone by the, oh, I'm sorry, the glory of God undone by the glory of God. So you continue on in the passage. He says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as for fuel for the fire. Okay, so what's happening here? What's happening is a description of how this light is going to come and what God's going to do. If you'll notice in this passage, every single thing that is said that will be done is all God doing it. God's the active agent. It says God is the one that's going to multiply the nation. It's not going to be just the Israel. It's too small a thing for God just to save Israel, but this plan, this was part of his plan from the beginning that so his love for all people, that all would be saved, that it would multiply the nation exponentially uh, through Christ. So this is something that, if you can imagine uh, a sunrise. So this morning as I drove into church, I'm driving in, I'm driving east, so I can actually see the sun kind of come up. In fact, it's kind of hard to drive when I'm driving to church on Sunday morning. But I can, I can actually look at the sun as it's coming up over the horizon. You know, if you were to look at the sun when it's at noon today, uh, you would burn your retinas. You know, you would, you would go blind after a while, but you can actually see the sun when it's not at its fullness. And I think that's a picture of what Christ came to do at Christmas. Like the light of the world has come for us to behold and we've seen his glory of truth and grace. 
It's like God has not finished these things, but he's begun to do these things. He has begun to multiply the nation. He has begun to increase our joy. He has begun to increase our joy like at harvest. He has begun to make us more and more free, as in David, when he beats Goliath, the other army just needs to go in and walk up and pick up the spoils of victory. That's what Jesus is doing. So just imagine that this is something that's continually growing. And so we need to be undone by God's glory. That's like a sun rising that as we go little by little by little, it changes us from the inside out. Does that make sense? Um, and, and just even thinking about this uh, for me and how this apply, applies to our lives. And um, I've been following Jesus for about 10 years, ever since I recommitted my life to Christ uh, when I was about 22. And I think from that time on, uh, for the last 10 years, it's probably been the most challenging uh, of more than my first, you know, 22 combined. But I can say that it has been the best that I've ever experienced because the more and more I get to know Jesus, the more and more I get to know his goodness, the more and more I get to know his, his presence, his light, the more and more I get to know his plans for us, and the more and more I get to trust him. Um, and so it is like an increasing sunrise. It just gets better and better and better and better. And that's not to say, like I said, it's been one of the most challenging. But as we look at who, what Jesus has done and coming towards us this Christmas and how he has uh, how he has made a way um, for us uh, that that would be something that we would grow in. And uh, I was thinking about it even this week as I'm, we're working with our, our baby girl, Ellis, who's nine months old. So I have a baby girl named Ellis, and she is a fireball. Let me tell you, she is, uh, she is spirited. And so when she gets upset, I'm trying to get her to trust me in order to calm down. And I'm trying to get her to know that daddy's a safe place and you can actually rest your head on my shoulder. We have not gotten there yet. In fact, I think this morning might be the first time she's in the nursery and not crying. Praise God. So, uh, but all I have to say, but it has gotten a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit more trust, a little bit more time with her, a little bit more. And I can, I can see her softening towards me. And there's areas in our life that we need the softening of God, and he is so patient, and he is so good to heal those wounds, and there's so much compassion, and he is not, he's never through with you. He's gonna finish the good work that he started in you, okay? And I just feel like the, that the Lord just is like stirring up like soil and just saying like, you are good soil here. You are good soil here, and I'm, not, I'm gonna keep tending to you until you bear fruit 10, 100, 1,000 fold, as what he was speaking over to you guys. I was praying uh, this week. And, uh, you know, so that, I just, man, for me, just even imagining, you know, I'm like Ellis all the time. I'm like, I don't want to trust you in this way. I want to do it my way. Like, why, why are these things happening? And God's just saying, I'm with you. You can trust me. You can confide in me. Um, as I was preparing this week, I needed a change of scenery, so I went to Starbucks. And I ended, yeah, mm, there you go, uh, coffee. So I was... I was at Starbucks, and I was typing away and researching and writing, and I overheard uh, these two guys sitting next to me talking about their lives and t sharing their, their story of what Jesus had done in their lives. And so I uh, did, you know, what I think, uh, well, I did what I did, 
and uh, put my headphones in, pretending like I was like listening to music, but I was like typing down what they were saying and <laughs> taking notes. So, you know, preaching 101, just, you know, kind of eavesdrop on people and write it down. Um, but as I, I was hearing this amazing story about this guy who was a, uh, he was a business guy that was successful and he was climbing the ranks and, and so forth, but he had stolen money from his, his company. And this secret, this lie had begun to grow. And he has family, he has responsibilities, and as he's growing in authority in this business, it's like this tangled web is growing more and more and more. And he was a Christian, but he had walked away from, he was not walking with Jesus, and so he had justified his actions, and he just knew over time, like, it was like the Holy Spirit was just knocking on the door, you, you know, this is not something that I have for you. And he said, as he was reading his Bible, he started to write down, here's who God's made me to be, here's who I want to be, here's who he's called me to be. He started writing down, here's, here's the type of man I want to be, I want to be a man of the scriptures. I want to be a man of integrity. I want to be a man that loves others. He just started making this list. And as he got done with the list of journaling, he realized that this type of man would, would confess today. Like he would, tomorrow morning, he's going. And so that's what he did. He ended up going in, ended up confessing. He said, it was such a gift that God would shine the light, exposing an area of sin in his life. He said, I can't imagine if God wouldn't have done that where I would have been. I just think about my life, and, and I was, like, kind of tearing up because I'm, like, in Starbucks, you know, writing this and, um, you know, uh, trying to not look like I was eavesdropping, but um, I was making my own list. I was, like, who do I want to be, you know, when I'm, when I'm 40, when I'm 50, and what type of man is that, and I, I just start, felt like God was being the shine places in my own heart where it's, like, man, my attitude's wrong here, or I'm not taking care of, you know, I'm not cherishing Amy the way that she deserves, or I'm not digging in the script, and it wasn't like a legalistic thing. It was like, yeah, I'm not, and I want to. I want to. And so when the glory of God, it, it hits us, it increases our joy. It's not a should to. It's not a should. It's like it's a we get to. Does that make sense? Come on. So thank you, Starbucks man, wherever you are. Um, so last thing as we close is, the, is as we look at these last two verses, which are probably the most famous prophecies about Christmas, is just our need to receive Jesus by, uh, as a gift. Our need to receive as a gift by grace. And so let's finish out the passage for today, beginning in verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Mm. Well, this is the season of giving and receiving gifts. Um, but there's some gifts that you need a measure of humility to receive. So imagine if on Christmas Day or if you Christmas Eve, whenever you open presents, that you go to your stocking and you pull out a present and there you find coupons for three free counseling sessions. Um, you know, and so you're like, huh, all right. Now you can respond one of two ways. You can either say, wow, I'm really not okay. This is actually a really thoughtful gift. Thank you so much. 
Or you can respond in a way that's like, what kind of passive aggressive gift is this? Like, why don't you just tell me to my face what I need to know? Like, are you worried about me? You know, and so it takes a measure of humility to receive that. But, he, but God in Jesus is saying that he will be called wonderful counselor. He's saying that in order to receive me as counselor, you have to know your need. You have to know your need for guidance, for wisdom. And he says, I will be your wonderful counselor. And actually, that word wonderful is, is a synonym for supernatural. He is a supernatural counselor, that a light is coming that's not, not of this world that we need to shed light on our problems. And so what if you went to another gift um, in your, in your uh, oh, which one? I'm, oh, sorry, I lost track. So wonderful counselor, counselor, almighty God. So what if you got another gift and uh, same stocking you opened up and it was a gym membership? You know, it's like, great. So I'm, I'm not uh, okay, whatever, I need help. And then I'm out of shape and weak. Thank you for this gift. You know, so you have to have a measure of humility to appreciate that um, and say, you know what? Uh, I'm not strong enough. I, I can't do it on my own. I do need help. I do need you. And that, he is a mighty God. And that's another name for he's a warrior on your behalf. He fights the th- battles that you can't fight. And that when you, when you receive the gift of Jesus, you're receiving him as like, you know what? You're stronger than I am. You are, you are my warrior. You are the one that goes out and claims the victory for me. And then, you know, you go over to another present and you go and it's like a check that pays all of your debt. And all of us are like, yes, I don't care. I will take that. Absolutely. Um, and he says, I want to be an everlasting father. And in all sincerity, if you've ever been in a place where you truly need a financial gift and you receive it, it is one of the most humbling times. And, and you are just undone by the kindness and the grace because you did not deserve it. Um, especially if you know, you're in a place where you, your choices led you in that place and the grace of God comes. Um, he wants to be an everlasting father, a permanent father that you will never be orphaned, a father that will never pass away. You'll never have to bring flowers to his funeral. He will always, 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 always be your father, everlasting father. And then he's a prince of peace. And so if you go to the last gift, so to speak, and you open it, it's a jersey. And it's a jersey that doesn't have your team or your name on it, but instead the jersey is God's jersey, whatever God's jersey is. And it says Prince of Peace on the back. And it says Jesus. You're like, wait a second. I want my name. I want my number. I want, I want to be a part of making something great for my name. And he's like, no, I want you to be in my kingdom. I want you to be uh, a benefactor of the peace that's never going to end. And I have plans for you that are good, but we're going to wear my name on the back of your jersey. We're going to wear, we're going to wear um, we're, that's the way that my kingdom operates. And so I share those things because I believe God's inviting us to just know our need again and to be humble enough to admit that we, need, that we need him and then take courage to actually say, God, I give you trust. So I'm gonna invite the band to come on up as we go to God and let him minister. And, and as, we, uh, as we do, I just wanted to read a quick quote um, from Timothy Keller, which is always a good thing to do. Um, Great, great teacher that I've benefited a lot from. And he writes a book on this called Hidden Christmas. And he says uh, about Christmas, are you willing to say, I am a moral failure? I don't love God with all my heart, soul, and strength and mind. I don't love my neighbor as myself. And therefore, I am guilty. I need forgiveness and pardon. It takes enormous courage to admit these things because it means throwing your old self-image out and getting a new one through Jesus Christ. And yet, 
That is the very foundation for all the other things that Jesus can bring into your life, all the comfort, all the hope, and the joyful humility and everything else. So just to kind of recap as we go to God, um, that he is the light that has come to shine in our darkness. He is the sunrise, so to speak, going even back to my first image as a five-year-old, just imagining that sunrise coming up and that peace of God, that he's come to you. And maybe for you, this is, the, this is your day where it's like, you know what, I think I am ready to try to, to admit my need and to invite Jesus in to be my light, to be the sunrise in my soul. Uh, I need you, Jesus. And uh, if that is you, I just want to invite you um, to come and find me uh, afterwards, to come and find, um, or even just tell someone, uh, tell someone next to you, like, hey, I'd like to know how to do that. I'd like to know how to accept Christ. And then maybe there's other people in this room that they, uh, and they, they just know that they just need to respond. They're like, God, show me places in my life that by your mercy that I, I need to hand over to you and help me to really cherish and receive the gift of Christmas um, in a new way this year. So I just invite you to stand as we respond. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna have some prayer uh, people and leaders available at the front if that's the way you wanna respond. So uh, Jesus, we are so, 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 so thankful that you came and found us, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that no one is too far. There's no... Uh, no wretch, no, uh, no one, God, that's far enough from your reach. Thank you for your love and your compassion. And most of all, thank you for Jesus uh, coming as a baby, uh, coming in humility, coming for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that encouraged you. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh man, why don't you go to our website and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst. And we would love for you to be a part. Uh, if you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys and we'll see you next week.